Welcome back to Calculating Christmas. If you missed the previous chapters, you can find them on this podcast in the episode list. And now, Chapter 7, The New Student. Mrs. Fox was in her usual great mood, bouncing around happily. Today we're going to change the endings of two fairy tales. Do the characters stay happily ever after? Probably not a good idea. I understood it was just an assignment, but I knew, firsthand, that things did not go well once you started changing them in fairy tales. We'll divide into three teams for each tale. One team will argue that things should not stay the same. One will argue that the characters will not stay happily ever after, and the last team will argue for an ending that is different, but still gives us a happily ever after. Had she been talking to Grimm? This was really starting to sound like what I did with Ella last month. I realized, of course, she couldn't have actually been talking to Grimm. That would violate the shh, it's a secret act that everyone has to sign if they are going to be traveling between worlds. And Grimm didn't really strike me as a rule breaker. But still, strange coincidence. While I calculated the possibility of Smith's SFL magic somehow punishing me through my legendary literature class, Mrs. Fox began excitedly putting us into teams. I forced myself to pay attention. We had 17 students in our class. Mrs. Fox had mentioned three teams for each tale. That made a total of six teams. I loved watching Division at work. With 17 as the dividend and six as the divisor, the quotient wouldn't be even. It was two remainder five. Oh dear! Mrs. Fox said, it would be better with three people on each team, but Becky and Lily, you will just have to work extra hard in your team of two. I moved my desk near Becky's and we waited for our specific assignment. Mrs. Fox had not mentioned what tales we were going to work with. I hoped if we were a group that was arguing for the ending to stay the same, we didn't get an Anderson tale. No one in their right mind would be happy with his usual endings. I've tried to empirically determine what percentage of Anderson's tales end badly, but they were so terrible I stopped reading after only five. Consider The Little Mermaid. In Hans Christian Andersen's original tale, the mermaid doesn't get the prince. Nope, someone else marries him. And she doesn't take the advice of her sisters and stab him in the heart to break the spell so she can be a mermaid again. Nope, she becomes a creepy daughter of the air who blackmails children into good behavior. It's true. At the end of the story, the daughters of the air explain to the mermaid that they pass through the homes of children all over the world. If they see a child who is behaving well, they smile and are happy because seeing a child with good behavior means one year is deducted from their 300-year sentence of being a daughter of the air. When their time is up, they get immortal souls. But if they see a naughty child, like Carol, for instance, they weep tears of sorrow, and every tear they shed adds one day to their time. Like I said behavioral blackmail. How is that considered living happily ever after? Being the group that gets to change that ending would be easy. People have been changing the ending of The Little Mermaid for a while now. Because you need to be familiar with the story, I've chosen two well-known tales. We'll be doing Snow White and Cinderella. Hmm. If I wound up in the group that says Cinderella doesn't live happily ever after, that should be easy. I had first-hand experience with an unhappy Cinderella, and I even knew how to make it worse. Then she bounced around the room, passing out assignment descriptions and copies of the original tales for our reference. Becky and I were assigned to argue for an ending that is different, but still happily ever after for Snow White. Wondered if I should draw from real Smith's SFL life experience. I happen to know that Snow White was living happily ever after, running a skincare and cosmetic company, Snow Glows. She has commercials on Smithian TV where the witch from Hansel and Gretel says, After years of eating nothing but candy and gingerbread from my house, my skin was awful. And they show a picture of her acneed face. But after just two weeks of using Snow Glow's facial cleanser, I can really see a difference. 
Then they show a picture of her face and voila, she has seven less pimples. I counted one time because when you're dealing with a pimply witch, it's really hard to immediately see the results. She had a lot, but now she has seven less. Then the jingle comes on and sings, Snow knows glowing skin. Snow was also quite happy with her husband, Prince Witham, who handled all the IT needs for the kingdom. Although, revealing what I knew about Snow White, even in a hypothetical way, would probably violate the shh, it's a secret act. I decided to use a proven mathematical technique of letting the other person take control of the group. It's a great technique if the other person in your group is a natural leader, natural leader equals bossy, or if you don't know a lot about the topic. Or if you're a princess of a fairy tale land and can't, even in a hypothetical way, reveal any of that due to a government policy. Becky was thrilled to be group leader, and she had some very specific ideas about Snow's future. I think Snow White would travel the world as a hard-hitting journalist. She tossed her blonde hair over her shoulder. Becky wanted to be a journalist. Okay, I responded in my role as group agreer, but... My logical side took over. Doesn't the assignment description say that the different ending should have some basis in the actual tale? Like, in Cinderella, she cleans a lot, so a different ending for her might be that she runs a cleaning service. What in Snow White's story is the basis for her becoming a journalist? Hmm. Becky studied our printout of the original tale. Maybe she could run a webzine. I was safe from responding by a knock on the door. Mrs. Fox quickly opened it and stepped outside. When she came back in, she was tugging Carol, who looked extremely unthrilled by Mrs. Fox's excited ways. All 16 students registered their shock at Carol's gothness. About half unconsciously opened their mouths slightly. Another quarter kept their mouths closed but had pronounced eyebrow raising, and the rest did both. Carol was Franklin High School's first goth. We have a new student class. This is Carol Claus. Carol, would you like to introduce yourself to the class? No. Mrs. Fox patted Carol on the back. Oh, you're a joker, Carol. Tell us why you moved here. Carol huffed and then mumbled. My parents are on an archaeological dig. How exciting. Where are they working? Egypt. Wonderful. You'll have to keep us updated on what they are doing. Carol rolled her eyes. Mrs. Fox didn't see. She was scanning the groups unmathematically. Unmathematically because she should have known exactly where to put Carol. Only one group had just two people in it. Mine. Why don't you work with Lily and Becky? Girls, raise your hands. Becky slowly put her hand up. I sighed and tried to focus on the fact that this was a mission and that I had a duty to reunite Carol and her parents and save Christmas. Carol pulled up a desk and flopped down. What are we working on, algebra? Becky pushed the paper with the assignment description over to Carol. She still hadn't closed her mouth. Whatever. Carol read the paper quickly and pushed it back to Becky. Becky suggested that maybe Snow White would become some kind of journalist. I jumped in. Our group's natural leader, Becky, was fading fast under the influence of our I don't care member, Carol. I didn't want to be group leader, but I didn't want a bad grade either. I made a 74 on an earlier test in legendary literature. My parents were really upset about it. I think if I hadn't already been grounded for the Cinderella thing, I would have been again. They made me ask for extra credit, and now they check all of my legendary literature homework to see what my grade is and I have to read a fairy tale every day. My dad said, Lily, this is your most important class. Learning about your citizens is vital to your role as future protector. You must take this seriously. I understood where he was coming from, but when he talked to me about stuff like that, it made me nervous. I was starting to think that when they said, yes, you can still do pure mathematics research or be a code breaker for the National Security Agency, what they really meant was, I'm saying yes to this now so you won't freak out. I will just hope that you'll realize that the kingdom is more important and focus all your time on that and not on your silly math stuff.
Yeah, okay. Carol scoffed. She's not exactly the curious type. She winked at me. I don't think anyone's bragging about her writing skills. <laughs> she snorted. I looked at Carol in a way that I hope conveyed, stop violating the sh- It's a secret act. Becky looked puzzled for a moment, and then she consulted her copy of the story. I guess you're right. The story doesn't mention whether or not she can write well. Carol huffed, annoyed. <sighs> She's way too trusting to be a reporter. Maybe she'd be a smuggler. She could use the dwarves' minds and smuggle goods from one kingdom to the next. This time, Becky looked horrified. Why would she do that? What would the prince say? A princess can't be a smuggler. Mines aren't tunnels, Carol. But maybe she invests in the gold mines, I said, trying to keep the peace. Whatever, Algebra. Do you guys know each other? Becky asked. Carol's staying with us while her parents are in Egypt. We're cousins. Distant cousins. We hadn't met before yesterday. Had I really only known Carol since yesterday? It seemed like much, much longer. Oh, fun. Becky's facial expression and tone of voice didn't match her words. Maybe she could create a stranger danger class that would teach kids about not opening their doors. That's a good idea. I was all for that. It was far from the truth and not as dumb as smuggling. Yay! Becky smiled. I've already got a couple of ideas for the presentation. Great! I nodded. Carol said nothing. Mr. Hunt answered the knock on the door after telling us to continue working quietly. Second period only had 20 minutes left in it. I had practically finished my algebra homework. I sighed. Another day with no math homework. I considered working on some of the supplemental problems in the back of the book, but with my after-school job and now Carol to become best friends with in order to save Christmas, it wasn't like I had a lot of time for recreational math. Maybe someday. Class, we have a new student. Mr. Hunt closed the door. This is Eric, everyone. Say hello. Hello, we all called. Weird. I wonder what the odds were of getting two new students at a school on the same Friday. I ripped a clean sheet of paper out of my notebook so I could start figuring out. Lily? Mr. Hunt interrupted my calculating. I looked up. Did you hear me ask you to raise your hand? I smiled a little, feeling embarrassed. Um, I guess not. I stuck my hand in the air. The class giggled quietly. Mr. Hunt smiled. You see, Eric, Lily has demonstrated the point I just made. Since she is clearly the most dedicated algebra student in this class, she is the perfect choice to help you catch up to where we are. You're just a little behind. He patted Eric on the back and motioned to the empty desk next to me. Sit there by Lily. Lily, since you finish all your assignments early, you can help tutor Eric and get him caught up. Okay, I said, since you are not allowed to say what you feel like saying to a teacher. I did not want to tutor Eric in algebra. And where had he been living that he hadn't had algebra? Don't all ninth graders take algebra? I dashed out of Mr. Hunt's room as soon as the bell rang. Tutoring Eric had been torture. Torture consisting of me very slowly and very painfully working through the problems with him. And since he knew nothing about how to balance an equation or group-like terms, putting linear equations in slope-intercept form was a nightmare. The only positive part of the experience was that since helping him took so long, I had my last three problems as a homework. Corey waved at me as I entered the history classroom. We had periods three through six together, and lunch. Can you help me with these fraction problems? She showed me the homework from her basic math class. Sure, I nodded, glad she still wasn't still talking about my mom's cute assistant. I put my bag down and looked over her sheet. No, this one's wrong. I pointed to the first one on the page. You need... Lily! A voice called from the door. Save me a seat! I turned my head slowly in the direction of the voice and saw Eric, the mathematically inept, making his way to us. Hey! He stuck out his hand toward Corey. I'm Eric. What's your name? Corey? Nice to meet you. He sat behind me. Corey sat in the seat next to me, looking at me questioningly. Eric's new. He was in my last class also. He nodded at Corey's math sheet. Lily's helping me with my math too. She's great at math. I passed Corey's sheet back to her. 
This was getting odd. Had Eric never been the new kid before? Why didn't he know he couldn't just start talking to people? Thank you for listening to Calculating Christmas. If you can't wait for next week's chapter, you can always purchase the book on Amazon in print or Kindle formats. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the characters or the story. You can reach out to me through the Lily Sparrow Chronicles Facebook page. Until next time, happy reading.